Snap Studios. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the name your price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. WNYC Studios and Snap Judgment's Orbiting Hollows Justice. Welcome to Snap Judgment. My name is from Washington, and now we're going to take you somewhere where you've probably never been before. Snap producer Liz Mack has a story. What are you doing right now? Just suiting up. Camera. This will be yours. When you get underwater, you just turn it like this. Okay. Okay. Lose it, I'll find it. Don't worry. Okay. If not today, another day. Okay. So you got your slate, you got your mm-hmm. flashlight, you got your I have air my pencils. Got your underwater camera. Yep. Here's my extra pencils. We have to get this down to a fine science. Bingo, we're ready. For years. Roger Hansen has been building a secret underwater kingdom, a few yards away from a busy street in Long Beach. Today, he's taking me there to see it up close. And this is an official night dive because it's by science, it's after sunset, officially. Okay. So this is a night dive. You have to go by the rules. Roger actually carries a logbook with him everywhere, recording dates and times. We can rinse our mask off in the water tonight, which we should. After this dive we're about to take, he'll pick up his pen and his colored pencils and add one more dive at the bottom of a long list. Yeah. All right, any last words? What's the plan? Uh, we're going to go down to number seven and see if we can try and find deep blue. Okay. That's our best chance. And yours is going to be eight. One one we're going to try. We're going to a world that Roger finds both quiet and calm. He's taking me to see what he considers to be his underwater family. And while I'm his dive partner today, his story really starts with his favorite dive partner, Mike. Mike, Mike and I, we were both just about like twins. The reason we were best friends, especially underwater, was we both knew where the other guy was. All we'd have to do is go eight feet to the left because we know he would be there. Back in the day, Roger and Mike dove constantly. Oh, 100 times a year. For 30 years, I've averaged 221 dives every year average. Yeah, I could call him up in the middle of the night and go, hey, it's snowing, want to go scuba diving? He goes, sure. <laughs> And so we kept doing things that were on the edge dumb, but we would have so much fun doing it. Hey, 
It was a sunny day in May when Roger and Mike were out on Geneva Lake, diving for the millionth time together. They were on their boat when they heard a call over the radio. Mayday, mayday, we have a diver down. Are there any experienced divers on the lake? A young man was lost somewhere under the water. The Mayday callers were asking for any experienced divers to help find him, more than 90 feet under the lake's surface. They joined the search and rescue mission, and Roger dove down, first 10 feet, then 20, then 90. It was like wading through molasses. My chest was very tight, breathing it. Like every muscle was just really stiff. So I was trying to avoid fixating on anything other than the normal sequence that I would do underwater, checking all my gauges. Roger remembers feeling the pressure on his body underwater. And then he remembers the pressure he felt from above. Can we save them? Do we get them before they get too much brain damage? Roger couldn't find the missing young man, but some other divers did. Roger remembers watching as they pulled him out of the lake. I assumed that he was going to be okay. People were cutting away uh, the suit. My friend immediately started to do mouth-to-mouth. I was in shock, just staring. We did not find out till later in the day that he didn't make it. He was 19 years old. My friend Mike was a physician. We talked about what happened, and, you know, he was already in the 99.9 percentile for safety to start with. So he, you know, kept speaking about, I did everything right. I did kind of wanting to orally hear a check mark by each one. I did that. I did this. I did that. You know, that he had done everything he could do. That night, Roger took out his logbook, and like he did every day he was out in the water, he recorded that day's dive. But instead of marking start time and end time... I have a picture drawn of that day, you know? It's not very descriptive, but it's there. And I don't have his name. I just had where it was. It just shows a person laying there uh, without any facial features. After the incident on Geneva Lake, for Roger and Mike, scuba diving became less of a hobby and more of a mission. I became an instructor because of that day, matter of fact. The two of them began learning about rescue diving together. I said to myself, I'm going to train people so this doesn't happen again. It was eight years later when something did happen. One morning, Roger woke up in a panic. I just woke up one day and said, something's wrong. Something's wrong. I, I just knew. I, I, and I called the police department. And I said, would you go out and check on my friend? And he wasn't there. And about a day after I had called, they found his vehicle parked over along the coast. 
and his boat was gone, and they never found the boat. The only thing they ever found was his scuba tank, and it floated clear across the other side, one of the Great Lakes. And while they searched and searched for Mike's body in the water, they came up empty. So I went to his house, you know, go into his bedroom and see his, like, slippers laying sideways in the bed. And you almost could see the contour of his body impressed into the mattress and the pillow. It was like it was a negative. And, and do you know what? where that doctor is, who is my best friend? you know where he is? Lost on the bottom of Lake Michigan. That's where he is right now. How does it affect me? It just, it just shattered me, shattered me. He was my best friend. We, we went and had, we had a big ceremony at a place we used to dive. It was a quarry where Roger and Mike had found a safe deep underwater years ago. They liked to practice there. Uh, we got together about 40 of his various friends. So we were in a, a big circle and down by the shore, and we each just took a minute to say something nice about our friend. And we took some of his trophies that were at his home, and they were uh, long, tall, gold figurines on the top. And a handful of them went down to the water in their diving suits, holding onto Mike's trophies. And we took them down to leave them in an area where the ice was as a, a memory. Roger and his friends planted the trophies deep into the sand. I've reviewed in my mind what I felt like would have been his final minutes and things. And I've thought about it a lot of times. And, oh, let's move on. After Mike's death, Roger lost his appetite for diving. He went from going hundreds of times a year to... 16. I kept track. I didn't hardly dive at all because I was so upset that my best friend passed diving. It lost its luster. So first I want to ask you, you know, like 20 years ago, did you ever think that you would be... Could you ever have imagined yourself as, like, a custodian of seahorses? Never, ever, no. I didn't even know they hardly existed 20 years ago. No way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, any last words? What's the plan? Uh, we're going to go down to number seven and see if we can try and find deep blue. Okay. That's our best chance. Today, 14 years later... Roger's back in the water. Today I did seven dives. Because now he has new friends to dive with. They're cute, they're sweet, they're nice, and they model the kind of behavior that humans should model. 
He met the first one on January 30th, 2016. And I saw an orange seahorse swim by. I knew that's not normal. Uh, at first I thought someone must have probably just thrown it out of a fish tank. Well, I followed it because I was totally curious. He started coming back a couple times a week to try and find the orange seahorse again and to see if there were any more. I started to see more seahorses coming into the area. They'd just pass by, kind of checking things out. End up seeing about 16 different seahorses. He even started to recognize some of them by their coloring. I followed one who I named Solomon, who after I studied my photography and learned more, he was actually a girl. His underwater life was coming back to him, and he'd get into his wetsuit and strap on his air tank more and more to visit his new friends. The seahorses are like your best friend pet. But as the days got shorter and cooler, and Roger was still visiting his new seahorse friends, he had a kind of terrifying thought. The first winter, I thought, they're all going to leave. These rare creatures that everybody thought was fantastic. He got more protective of them. I measured the area. I put yellow plastic tent stakes down in front of 10 areas with numbers on them so I could keep track of who was going where. Then I had to learn Seahorse 102 to identify each seahorse, which I can do. We're submerging and going through fields of tall, green, thick eelgrass. Below the eelgrass, we'll run into our first biome with sticks and palm fronds and pine branches. And then we'll take our light and shine in there to see if anybody is home. And if not, we'll move down another 15 feet across some bare sand areas to the next biome. If you dive down underwater with Roger, you'll see that he's constructed a sprawling complex of 10 different biomes, which are kind of like different neighborhoods in this massive world he's made for his seahorses. Each section is marked with yellow stakes and filled with sticks planted into the seafloor so seahorses can latch their tails onto them, like the way that land horses do at an old-timey hitching post. From there, they'll swim up sideways and into the palm fronds that Roger's planted, knowing that seahorses need a place to hide. A little deeper to an area called the Redwood Forest, which is made up of a 1,500 sticks stuck in the sand that run along the shoreline underneath these homemade beds. Right now, there are four seahorse friends who have stayed behind this whole time. Bathsheba's tall and orange. When we pass by her, Roger takes my hand so I can pet her back. Bathsheba I've seen like 833 times. So do you think she knows me? She's very cute. She can get any man she wants. Okay. Is she a black widow, I wonder? Because her husbands keep getting rubbed off. And then there's C.D. Street, her boyfriend. C.D. Street's new. He's, he's only been here, I've only seen him 21 times. He's just that five and a half inch guy who's got a 10 and a half inch long girlfriend. It looks kind of like an 18 year old dating a 45 year old. I'm not judging. And Deep Blue, who's more petite? Deep Blue, he's a boy, he's often pregnant. He's pretty chill. 
he, he doesn't mind you coming around as long as you understand if when he's had enough of you, he's going to rotate around on his stick. And then, of course, there's Daphne, the loner. Daphne's this wild card. She's way different of a seahorse, I'll tell you. Usually I sit here about 40% of the time when I go. Roger does everything he can to keep his seahorse kingdom safe from harm. Compared to our outside world, where we have such terrible things happening as people hurting other people, you don't see that underwater, ever. You know, things may have to eat because they have to eat, but they don't just kill to kill. He knows that there's always the threat that his seahorses could be eaten by another creature, or that they could die of old age. Well, I know the time's going to come where this rare experience that I've been blessed to have will end. This uh, spring, Bathsheba and Daphne, two of the four seahorses, are four. They don't look like they're slowing down, and uh, but I'm, I would like to find out what happens in this last chapter. I'm sort of in my last chapter, too, so... And then we would scuba down, uh, come back up. The very first time I met Roger, he told me he was a C minus on land and Mensa level genius underwater. And we do that after 20 minutes so we don't scare the seahorses. Take a break, talk, and then go again and see who has moved or who's gone where. That's because he says there's something about being underwater that makes him feel safe, at peace. Five areas that have names. The other one's just Underwater, it is quiet. It, it is a quiet world. Uh, it's a slowed down pace. You see all different kind of things. You feel differently because of a difference in pressure that's on you. It doesn't hurt at all. Recently, pregnant Deep Blue stopped showing up. Roger thinks he was eaten by an octopus. So he's moved any remaining octopuses in the area and resettled them elsewhere. It's good thinking. Thanks so much to Roger Hansen and keep an eye out for his forthcoming children's book. It's a seahorse of a different color. And to find out more about Roger and his work, along with photos of his seahorses, go online, snapjudgment.org. The original score for that story was by Leon Morimoto. It was produced by Liz Matt. Now, even if the story is over, you know the story is never over. Load up on the Snapchat podcast for your friends and tell somebody why you snap. You might change a life. One story at a time. Snap Judgment is brought to you by the team that never dives in face first anymore. Especially not the Uber producer, Mr. Mark Ristich. Papa C.D. Miller, Anna Sussman, Renzo Gorio, Shayna Sheedy, Liz Mack, Eliza Smith, Leon Moimoto, Lauren Newsom, Marissa Dodge, Flo Wiley, Nancy Lopez, John Facile, Nita Singh, and Teo Ducat. And even though this is not the news, no way it's the news. In fact, you can bet some 
smarty, smart professor type that the plural of octopuses is octopi, only to learn to your horror that the actual plural is octopuses and the shame you would feel, but still not be as far away from the news as this is. But this is WNYC. <laughs>